Good morning. How y'all doing? Fantastic. I am so excited of doing this series. Um, We're going to have a great time talking about the end of the world. Thanks for coming to One Church. Tell you what, um, let me tell you. I don't know, we're going to do just like some audience participation, because some of you, if you knew the world was going to end in like two or three weeks, what would be some things that you would do? Now, don't tell me. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, okay, I would do this, or I wouldn't worry about this. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do that right now. All righty, let me tell you what I would do. I would only wear Hawaiian shirts. Tell you what, I'm going to be comfortable. If the world is ending, I'm going to be comfortable. I ain't going to be in a tie or a suit. It's called sweatpants, all right, in Melikilikimaka shirts. That's right. Thank you for coming to One Church. All right. Uh, Actually, we're in the uh, very beginning of this three-part series entitled The End, 2012 The End. And I'm really excited. This is actually kind of the beginning of The End because this is the series is The End. All right. Anyway, um, these are the jokes. Come on now. Uh, Let me tell you, why are we talking about this? Because I'll be honest with you, at this time, it is December the 2nd. I love Christmas, all right? And by the way, didn't the band do a good job, played a Christmas song? I'm telling you what, God is good. All right, anyway, so um, I love preaching about Christmas, but today, even though I'd love to preach about Christmas, for these next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the end of the world because a lot of people are talking about the end of the world right now. In fact, um, um, the reason why that's happening, just in case you live in Iraq, is um, the Mayan calendar ends on December the 21st, 2012. And because it ends there, and there's not a next date after that, a lot of people believe that December the 21st is going to be the end of the world. In fact, Nostradamus uh, actually predicted that the end of the world would happen in 2012. In fact, there are even some NASA scientists that say that the end of 2012, or maybe the beginning of 2013, will be the end of the world. All right. Now, I want to say very, very clearly, everybody listening? Very, very clearly, December the 21st, 2012, is not the end of the world. I'm just going to say that. All right? Some of you, you're out there, you've already got like credit card applications, and you've started racking up debt because you think two weeks from now, you ain't got to pay it back. Well, I want to be the bearer of bad news and say you will have to pay it back because there will be a December the 22nd, 2012. Now, let me tell you, why can I say that? Why I can say that is because of some verses we're going to be looking at today. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to hear what Nostradamus has to say about the end of the world. You don't want to hear what the Mayan calendar has to say. You want to hear what Jesus has to say. You don't want my opinion. You don't want anybody's opinion. I want to know what God has to say about this. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to get there in a little bit. We're primarily going to be there. I'm going to stray a couple of different places. But Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be looking at today. Let me read one verse as we get started. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says this. However, no one, everybody say no one. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. All right, let me just stop right there. What does no one mean? 
No one. That means when Harold Camping, who is a, you know, and he says it's going to be October 1992, by the way, that happened. Then he said, I was off a little bit. It's going to be November. And then he, like, pushed it back, like, 15 years. All right, that was last year. Anybody, anybody that says, I know the day, I know the day, you can tell that they are jacked up. It's called cult, okay? All right, so no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the who? Angels in heaven or even the sun. But who's the sun? Jesus. Now let me just talk a little bit about this. Jesus is God, 100% God, 100% man. When Jesus actually said this in Matthew chapter 24, he had, even though he's fully God and he knows all things, he said, you know what, I'm going to, I don't even want to know this. I am going to limit my knowledge here and and so that, again, nobody else will be able to know and I'm not even, oh, in fact, it says only the who. The Father knows. So who is the one individual, the one person who knows when the end of the world will happen? God the Father, all right? Now, that's very, very interesting. That means you and I, we shouldn't speculate. We shouldn't listen to somebody who does speculate. So if you're here and you're like, you know what? What day is it? I can't give you that, all right? And and if I could give you that, you need to leave this church immediately, all right? Because don't drink the Kool-Aid. All right? In fact, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, the, the Bible says no one knows. Anybody remember Y2K? Totally remember that stuff, right? I mean, you got all these weird, strange people. In fact, some of you, it may have been you, I apologize, who were like, were like hoarding generators. You know what I'm saying? I, I had this friend, um, and I, in fact, he listens to the podcast, so I just need to stop right there. He had, I, I, had, I had this friend who literally, he bought like three generators and was like, you know, this is it. This is going to happen. And, of course, he ended up selling them for like two bucks, you know, two months afterwards. So, I mean, there's this, and if you don't remember Y2K, what it was is when they first started writing computer code, they didn't put the 1998 or 1997. They, put, they didn't put the 19. They just put 97, 98, right? Well, the problem is when you get to 2000, all right, there wasn't a 2-0 before that. So everybody thought, wow, we're going to go back to 1900 and like all, everything's going to crash. All of the financial stuff's going to crash. Everything is just going to go hog wild. And what happened on January the 1st, 2000? Nothing. Nothing happened. All this fear, all this hype, and it was all for Zilcho. And I tell you, the most important and most often repeated command in the Bible, anybody know it? Fear not. Now, there's a lot of people who are afraid during this time because of December the 21st, 2012. I'm telling you, the Bible says you can have no fear, and especially, especially if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do or if you don't, we're going to talk about that in a little bit at the end of this uh, talk. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you the big idea. And I'll be honest with you, I I studied this passage uh, a lot in the past couple of weeks because I've never, ever taught on this passage, ever. Um, I've really never heard anybody ever teach on this passage, 
ever. So I'm kind of out there. I've read a lot of commentaries and stuff. But just in case you have to leave, I want to give you the big idea. And then I'm gonna, we're going to start digging through Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And we're going to see how this big idea happens over and over again. The big idea is this. In uncertain times, everybody say uncertain. Uncertain times, we can be what? Certain that Jesus will return again. We can be certain that Jesus will return again. And again, all around our world, there's fear, there's uncertainty. There's fear and uncertainty about the housing market, the stock market, about all of this stuff. Um, and, and there may be fear and uncertainty because your candidate got in power or didn't get in power or whatever, whichever way you fall on that. But there's fear and there's uncertainty. And one of the things that we can see is, and I'm going to just, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a church person, I just want to go ahead and say up front, these next three weeks are going to be a little strange. All right? In fact, we're going to be looking at prophecy in the Bible, and I want to be the first one to say it looks a little weird because it is a little weird. Okay, so when we start talking about a lot of this stuff, it's just like, dear Lord. By the way, can somebody turn off the smoke up here? Uh, um, that'd be great. All right, cool. Now let me just give you a, a little bit about the second coming. Very, very interesting. About 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Now what is prophecy? It's predicting what's going to happen in the future. That's interesting. Prophecy is, um, y'all say hello to Josh. All right. Prophecy is predicting what's going to be happening in the future. Now, again, I want to be upfront. There are a lot of different interpretations about what's going to happen. And I am going to tell you um, how I read the Bible, and I'll tell you this. Um, thank you very much, Josh. Uh, I'll tell you this. Um, I, I, I've been wrong sometimes on reading the Bible. Um, I will tell you this. What I'm going to be presenting to you, uh, looking through the book of Revelation and some of these other things, uh, I'm going to be presenting to you what the majority of people believe, and it's also what I believe. So I don't want you to think I got some weird, you know, something out there. You can Google this, and we'll give you some resources uh, on our onechurchmedia.tv about this, all right? But Jesus is returning, and that is called the second coming. If you're taking notes, number one, Jesus is returning, and that is called the second coming. Now, let me just say this. The best way I can talk about the second coming is to talk first about the first coming. Anybody know what we call the first coming? Christmas, exactly right. Did I tell you I love Christmas? My gosh, last night I was coming home and I had my iPod plugged into my vehicle and 13,389 Christmas songs. I love Jesus, I'm just saying. I also love Christmas, all right? I, but we call the first coming Christmas, all right? Now think about this. There were over 300 prophecies fulfilled with Jesus coming to the earth the first time. And if you look at the prophecies, some of them were a little strange, all right? You remember this prophecy that he would be born of a virgin? That's a little different. If somebody would say, how is that going to happen? I don't know, right? I don't quite know how that's going to work, but it's going to happen, and it did. Um, let me give you another one, that there's going to be a star, it says, a star from the east. And how is that going to happen? I don't know. In fact, in the second coming, we're going to see all of this stuff with stars and stuff happening in the heavens and stuff, and it's going to be a little weird, but just remember, this stuff has kind of happened before with the first coming. Uh, or what about this one? That he would be born in a small little backwoods hick town called Bethlehem. All right? Again, very, very strange, 
Very, very strange. In Micah 5, 2, it says that. But you know what? It happened. So let's don't get hung up on the strangeness, but I just want to be acknowledging it. Some of the stuff we're going to re- read, it's, it's, it looks a little different. Did you know this? There were 300 prophecies leading up to Jesus' first coming. Let me give you uh, just a statistic. There are five times more prophecies heading up to Jesus' second coming. Let me do some multiplication for you. That's 1,500 prophecies leading up to Jesus coming again in the end of the world. Now, does that mean it's important? You better believe it is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Before I dig in too much into this, there are, there, I'm a little scared about teaching this message. Because anytime you talk about Revelation in the times, you always get some people that are a little strange. All right? Um, I call them prophecy fanatics. And it's like, you know, they see everything, and they start counting letters in the president's name, and if it adds up to 666, then, you know, then it must be Ronald Reagan. Anybody remember that one? I mean, you get some strange people out there. I'm just saying. Now, let me tell you, there are two extremes to get so strange, and it's everything, you're trying to look for a prophecy under every rock. That's one extreme. Another extreme is this. I don't care. I don't care. And I don't think we should fall on either one of those. We need to look at what the Bible has to say. The Bible is not 100% prophecy. 30% of it is. But if we're going to accurately dig into what God's word has to say, then we need to know what prophecy has to say. John 14, 3, Jesus says this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what does he say? Everybody say it out loud. I will come back. I will return and take you to be with me so that you will also be where I am. This is, this is Jesus' Arnold Schwarzenegger moment. I'll be back, right? He, Jesus is saying, I am getting ready to leave, but I will be back. And what's so interesting, if you already got Matthew 24 and 25 up, this is where we're going to be talking. Let me give you some context. Jesus, this happens two days before Jesus is killed. This is at the very end of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, Jesus teaches Matthew 24 and 25 on Wednesday, and he gets killed on Friday at 9 o'clock. Now, here's what's interesting <coughs> excuse me, about this. is Some people call this the Olivet Discourse, and that's just a really weird church way of saying that this is the teaching he did on the Mount of Olives. Right outside of Jerusalem, there is this mountain. It's really more of a hill, and it's called the Mount of Olives. And the reason why it's called the Mount of Olives is because it's a mountain that has... Thank you so much for coming to One Church, right? I mean, so Jesus went up on the side of this mountain filled with a lot of olive groves and olive trees. And by the way, the Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives as well. And he starts teaching them about the end of the world because he's getting ready to leave. Now, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus and his disciples are walking outside of the temple. The temple is right there, almost right next to the uh, Mount of Olives. They're going to come out of the tentral through this uh, gate called the Beautiful Gate, going down the Kidron Valley, and they're going to walk up on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples are like, man, isn't this temple awesome? This temple is the bomb. In fact, let me tell you, Jews in that day, they used the temple kind of like a rabbit's foot. Anybody ever had a rabbit's foot? I've had a rabbit's foot. All right, thank you. Thank you for being honest, me and you. All right, all right, we're the lucky ones, all right? By the way, your lottery numbers are, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> dear Lord. All right, um, but they use the temple kind of like a rabbit's foot. That you know what, because we've got the temple and no, no, nobody else does, that God is going to bless us. 
God is going to be with us because we have the temple. And it doesn't matter, you know, if we do all of this stuff, God is going to like us because the temple is with us. And they kind of got focused, got their focus off of God and on the buildings. That never happens today, does it? Ever, Right? In fact, look at what happens in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him in, in the various temple buildings. So Jesus, hey, look at that building. Hey, Jesus, look at that building. All right? But then Jesus responded, do you see all of these buildings? I'll tell you the truth. They will be completely what? demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Jesus says the time is coming in the future when all of this junk won't matter. None of this stuff is eternal. Stuff isn't eternal. Buildings aren't eternal. Let me tell you, it's all going to burn. And let me just say this. You know what? I'm glad that we have stuff, and stuff helps us make us do ministry. It'll be a little bit more effective or easier. But at the end of the day, stuff, buildings, they do not matter. What matters is three things, and three things are eternal. God God's word and people. And at the end of the day, what we want to do, and a lot of other churches around this community want to do, is we don't want to get focused on stuff. We want to focus on connecting an eternal loving God to people who have no idea that God loves them. All right? Again, I'm straying off a little bit, but hang out with me. All right. Now, let me tell you, what happens is this. What's interesting is what happens when Jesus says this temple is going to be destroyed? Guess what happens? It gets destroyed, right? In fact, it gets destroyed about 40 years from after Jesus spoke this. Um, It was destroyed by the Roman uh, person Titus on August the 10th, 70 AD. The exact same day the temple was burned 600 years before by Nebuchadnezzar. I didn't know that until this week. That's kind of cool. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This is from the, um, the, the arch in Rome. It's called the, the Titus Arch, the Arch of Titus. And here you see the Romans taking away um, the candelabra. In fact, some of you, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, what's the Jewish holiday in these? Hanukkah, thank you very much. Hanukkah, they celebrate Hanukkah because of this candelabra. Um, the, it has oil in the candelabra, and um, it, they were out of oil. And what happens, this is between the Testaments, is this person ran to go get some oil like 50 miles away, came back, and for nine days, this, um, uh, this candelabra continued to burn even though it didn't have oil. And that is what the whole idea of Hanukkah is about. Now, what's so cool about this is that you see the Romans and the Jews, they're taking away the plunder from when the temple got destroyed on August the 10th, 70 A.D. Now, this caused a lot of conversation, Jesus is talking about, and this is what it says in verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said this, Tell us, when are these things going to happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, think about that. They want to know what? When. In fact, some of you, that's what you want to know, and I want to know. When. When is all this? Is it going to be December the 21st, 2012? When is it? What's the date? What's the time? Listen to how Jesus responds, verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone what? Mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, they will deceive many. Now, let me talk about what the word Messiah is, because that's kind of a churchy word, if you wouldn't mind going back. 
Messiah literally means the God's anointed one, the chosen one. The, uh, that's the Hebrew word for Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah, you may know it, it's called Christ. All right? So Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. All right? That is the Messiah. Just some of you, all right, cool, just want to let you know. All right, um, so Jesus says, uh, uh, there's going to be many coming in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but do not what? Panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And Jesus says, don't panic. That's easier said than done, right? All right? You you still won't be at the end yet, Jesus says, even when all of these things happen. Now, what's so interesting, look at, in verse 7, look at how Jesus describes the past 2,000 years we've been living in. Listen to how he describes this. Um, Between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, that's the in-between time that you and I are in right now, 2,000 years. Nation will go to war against nation. Has that happened? You better believe it. And kingdom against kingdom. Has that happened? Yes. There will be famines. Has that happened? Earthquakes. Has that happened? In many parts of the world. I mean, this is an accurate description of our past 2,000 years. In fact, this took me the longest time to do. But I, I went on Wikipedia, and I counted up wars from Jesus' time until now. Dear Jesus, it took me most of the afternoon. Let me show you this. All right, from A.D. 33 to A.D. 1000, there were 70 wars in that 977 time span, 70 wars. Now, from 1,000 to 1,500 A.D., excuse me, by the way, that's cut in half, right? The time has been cut in half, and how many wars? 90 wars. So have things gotten better or worse? Worse. From A.D. 1500, just from A.D. 1500 to 1599, how many wars? 74 wars. By the way, we went from 1,000 years to 500 years, now just to 100. Uh, 74 wars in 100 years. In the 1600s, how many wars? 88 wars. In the 1700s, how many wars? 96 years. By the way, the Revolutionary War would be in that one. The French and Indian War would be in that one here in the United States. In the 1800s, just, just from 1800 to 1899, how many wars were there? 313 wars. By the way, in America, the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, all, far, all, all, all fought, excuse me, I make mistakes too. I apologize. All fault during that 100 years. Now look at this. From 1900 until 2012. That is 112 years. How many wars have been fought in the past 112 years? 360 wars. World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, or the Vietnam Conflict, Grenada, Grenada, uh, Panama, the first Persian Persian Gulf War, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Somalia, Afghanistan. That's just the ones that we've been involved in. And I may have missed some. You see, things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And that is how it always is. We've got more technology. We've got more social media. We've got more stuff. And we've got more jacked up in this. Thanks for coming to One Church. But look at this, verse 8. 
Jesus says this, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Birth pains. I don't know a lot about birth pains because I am not a female. However, I do remember um, our first child. And you know what? We had no, nothing to expect. Uh, my wife and I, we'd been married for five years. And uh, she was pregnant um, with our son. We didn't know he was a son or, or a girl yet. Um, a boy or a girl, uh, but I remember we, my wife would, you know, she would start having what some of you know is Braxton Hicks. What is Braxton Hicks? Braxton Hicks is the warm-up for the big show, right? In fact, I remember um, where we were at. Uh, Walt was born um, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and, um, and we were in Auburn, Alabama at the time. So, and I remember my wife ended up eating her last supper before she gave birth was at the Mellow Mushroom because Jesus loves us. And um, so, but I'll tell you what, I remember for the week before that, she kept on just having these contractions. And she was, and again, she didn't know what to expect. Is this the real thing or not? But you know what? What Jesus is saying is all of these wars, all the tsunamis, all the earthquakes, they're just Braxton Hicks for what's really going to come. And we're going to look at here in the next two weeks all the devastation and all of the, just the bad stuff that's going to happen during a seven-year period. All right? Now look at how Jesus continues. I've got to keep on going. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed, Jesus says. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. I mean, that's kind of glim, isn't it? Kind of glim. Arrested, persecuted, and killed. Listen to this, more than 43 million Christians have been killed for their faith. What that's called is martyrdom. Killed for their faith since Jesus has been around. In fact, get this, just in the 20th century alone, there's been more Christians killed in the 20th century because of their faith than all of the other centuries added together. It's been bloody time for Christians. 26 million documented cases of martyrdom just in the 20th century alone. And more than 200 million Christians in over 60 nations face persecution every day, with 60% of those being children. 150 to 160,000 people are killed for their faith each year. Many of them in places like China or in something we call the 1040 window. I should have put a graphic up on here. But it's kind of northern Africa. It's where a lot of the Muslim countries are. And if you're a Christian in a Muslim country, they can kill you legally. In China, I mean, they kill tons of Christians for their faith. And, of course, we as America, we trade with China a lot. And because we're getting money from China, we just look the other way. It's kind of jacked up. But people are dying for their faith every day just because they own a page of the Bible. How many of y'all own a Bible? Okay. How many of y'all own five Bibles? Ten Bibles? Am I the only one? I got like 40. So, 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 I mean, I should really be in them. But, you know, we have Bibles, but many times we don't use them. But yet there are people in third world countries that would literally give their lives if they just had just a piece of paper from a Bible so that they can read. Look at what it says in verse 10. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And, they, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow what? Cold. So the closer we get to the end of the world, 
things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. People are going to start falling away. It's going to get too tough for some. Christians are going to start falling away because of sin. And others who used to have a a really hot relationship with God, it's now grown cold. How many of y'all, you know somebody who used to be really close to God and they're not anymore? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I know people like that. I know people like that. You know, one of the reasons why we do things the way we do as a church, not just do Sunday morning but do communion groups, is because all of us have a tendency to veer and stray away. And when you're in a communion group, you know, you have a group of people around you who will hopefully keep you from doing that, who will be the guardrails. Let me go secondly uh, as we close. The second thing is this. We've talked about the second coming, Jesus will return. I want to talk about the rapture. And the rapture is where living Christians are taken away. Living Christians are taken away. Now, if I could stray just a little bit from Matthew 24, I want to read to you uh, some verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise again from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be what? What is that next word? Caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. So, and by the way, this should be an encouragement. So encourage each other with these words. This is huge. This is huge. That word caught up. It's the, it's the Greek word harpazo, and it means to be seized or to be snatched up or to be rescued. Rescued from what? Well, what's going to happen, and we're going to be looking at this in the next couple of weeks, is for seven years, people, some people call this the Great Tribulation, for seven years, literally all hell will break loose. So the Christians will be raptured or caught up or rescued or taken away. And by the way, this view is called the pre-tribulation view. If some of you are interested in knowing that. All right, back to Matthew chapter 24, though, verse 39. It speaks a little bit about the rapture here. That is, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you two must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. In fact, you saw on the bumper video all those people just going up. That's what the rapture is. It's where um, they don't die, they just start floating up and then meet God together with them and they will be with God forever. Now let me, if I could retell these verses right here in kind of modern day. Two people are sitting at a computer. One person will leave and the other person will still be using a Windows machine. It could be that there's a whole family eating dinner and you got three people going up to heaven and three people watching them as they go up. You have, um, uh, maybe it's at church, it happens on a Sunday, and the rapture happens. And some people will be going up, and some people will be going, hey, where are you going? That's going to be how it is. So Jesus is saying, be ready, be prepared. Be ready by doing the work of the Lord, being sold out to him, not with half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity, but be ready because Jesus is coming. He is returning, and the rapture is going to take place. Now, almost done. For all of you guys are ladies who are nudies. Anybody know what a nudie is? Let me explain what this is because some of you are going, what? Some of you, um, uh, let me, uh, again, uh, there are two types of people in the world. You got people who are clothies 
and people who are nudies. All right? So if you're in the bed, if you are close to bed, raise your hands. The rest of you are sick. Let me tell you, if you're in the bed and it's just you and the buff, all right, let, let me read to you a piece of scripture for you, Revelation 16, 15. This gets humorous. It's kind of metaphorical, but listen. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a what? Thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their, dear Jesus, who keep their clothing ready so that they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Again, I think he's kind of poking fun here, all right? I really do. I mean, I think some of this in the Bible is humorous. But he's saying, listen, it, just in case, you want to have them close, right? Because some of y'all are going to be up in heaven in the buff going, what's up, right? Just say, I'm just juggling. All right, all right. All right, last verse we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. This is what Jesus says. And the good news, everybody say good news. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the entire world so that all nations will hear it. And then, what? The end will come. You see, just leave this verse up here if you would. See, some of you are asking, how come it's taken Jesus so long? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Right? How come it's taking him so long? The reason why Jesus is waiting is because of this verse right here. I'm going to read it again. He's waiting because he wants the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then, once that happens, the end will come. You see, the reason why some of us, you may be scratching your going, why are you so slow? He's so slow because God loves everybody. You hear what I'm saying? God loves America. God loves Afghanistan. God loves Iraq. God loves every Muslim country and every French country and every German country and what all of these other countries. God loves everyone. And God wants, this is the Bible says this very clear, it's he, his desire is for none to perish, but for all to come to faith and repentance in him. And I tell you, some of you, you're here, and so many times we're focused on the when, and when, and when, when really what we should be focused on is the who. Because that verse we just saw, the who always comes before the when. There are some of you who are here who showed up this morning, and you know this because you, um, you're actively sharing your faith. Or maybe if you don't even know how to do that, you, I mean, you're just hanging out with people at work or your neighbors, and you say, hey, what are you doing? I'd love for you to come to our church. I'd love for you to just be able to come, and you bring them here so that they will be able to hear the truth so that they will know that God loves them. Man, that's what it's all about. And I would encourage you, if, if, if you're kind of drifted from that, maybe that love has grown cold, let these verses be a reminder to all of us, myself included, that there is an end coming. And whether or not that happens this year, or it happens five years from now, or you know what, maybe it's going to happen another thousand years, I don't know. I just don't know. But I can tell you, all of us will be facing an end. And that's either going to be through death, or through the rapture, in the end of the world. And my question is, are you ready? 
do you know for certain that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because some of you, you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm good because I got baptized as a child. I'm great because you know what? I go to church. I, I'm, I'm, I am fantastic because my parents are Christians. Let me tell you, none of those are valid reasons. I'm good because I'm a good person. I got this. I follow the Ten Commandments. None of those are valid, valid statements of us getting to heaven. Let me tell you the only valid statement. I'm a sinner and that God loves me. And I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart, into my life, and I start living for him. And if you're here this morning and you're like, Chris, you know, I've been trusting in all of that other stuff. I've, I, you know, I've been doing all the other things, but you know what? I, I don't know if the end's going to happen, but I know I will have an end, and I don't know if I'm ready. Today can be the day that you get ready. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to just close your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for two groups of people in here because there's only two groups. It's the people who have a relationship with God and the people who don't. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your presence and your goodness. I thank you for the promise in the Old Testament predicting the first coming of Jesus and even five times more prophecies predicting the second coming of Jesus. The Lord, that he will come back for his church. And Lord, just with everybody still praying right now, I, I know that the majority of you guys are probably saying, you know what, I'm a Christian. I have a relationship with God. And some of you are like, you know, but you're, but you're kind of drifting. Your love is growing cold. So, Lord, I'm praying for those people right now. Lord, that they, you would return them to their first love. That they would see that all of this stuff matters. That people matter. That God matters. That God's word matters. And my car doesn't. Buildings don't. The house don't. The house doesn't. All the clothes, they don't matter. The Christmas gifts that we're spending really doesn't matter. But how I treat my wife and how I raise my children and how I invite my friend to church, that matters, God. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to get back to the basics. And Lord, for those who are just kind of have been a little passive about this, Lord, I pray that you, God, that you would stir their passion to serve, serve you even more for his glory, so that more people will be living in eternity. And Lord, I just pray for those people right now who don't have a relationship with you. God, people who, when they just look at everything in their life, they've been trusting in being good or being better than or going to church. And Lord, none of those are valid. Lord, I pray for those people right now that today they would get ready. That they would just talk with you right now. Lord, that they would be able to hear the good news. That Jesus loves them in spite of all of our hang-ups and sin. And that's the reason why he came and died on a cross. He took our place so that we can now go to heaven. And Lord, that we can trust in you. So, Lord, I'm praying for those people. If that's you right now, just silence to yourself. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus.
Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've got all of these hang-ups and mess-ups. And Lord, I just, I'm not going to trust in me and all of this stuff anymore. I'm trusting in you, Jesus Christ. I put my faith in you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Lord, let me be a part of your life, Jesus. Thank you for hearing this prayer. I believe that you died for me and rose again. In Jesus' name. Nobody looking around. If you prayed that prayer and you know just then something happened, not for the 18th time, but maybe this time, nobody looking around, I just want you to slip up your hand. All right, I see you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see you. Anyone else? All right, everybody can look up. I'm going to say this. If you, if you prayed that prayer and you were the few people that raised your hands, I'd encourage you, we give away Bibles here at One Church. Make sure to go get one, and make sure to come talk to one of our pastors, Josh or Patrick or myself or Joel. We would love to be able to talk with you about this, about your next steps and decisions. So thank you guys for coming to One Church today. i got a couple of... Uh,